Verse 28, 29, and 30. I'm going to bring this morning part two of my message, Take My Yoke, Find Rest. When you found that first look up, we'll begin. Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give is light. Soul rest is the strongest position you will ever stand in in this life. You're an overcomer when you're stronger on the inside than everything that's on the outside of you. In soul rest, life can hurt, but it can never defeat you. John said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people of the Antichrist because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Implied in that promise is that we live in a conflicted world and we live at the very heart of that conflict. As a man of faith, this message this morning is difficult for me to share because it's hard for me to concede the fact that we will leave this world having been denied some of the things that we most desired in life. And that only by death itself will we escape the struggle with some of our most obstinate enemies. In other words, what I'm saying is that some trials are going to be a running gun battle with you throughout your entire life. If somehow we got the idea that when we receive Jesus, we receive freedom from conflict, we receive everything we'll ever want, there won't be disappointment, there won't be pain, there won't be suffering, and we haven't really looked at what this is all about. This is the other side of a message about God's blessing in our life that, as I said, as a man of faith, I never want to say anything that causes people to step back from believing God for the meeting of their needs or for His blessing or for His relief, for His help in our life. I never want to say anything that causes stumbling, but... What I have to say today, I think, is so critical for anybody who, as a Christian, wants to live the life of an overcomer because it deals with certain realities in life and how Jesus threads like, like the sower sowing a needle, threads us through those situations. You may have to face in this life, the reality 
that some of your desired goals will never be achieved. You may have to face the fact that physical impairments may stay with you for the rest of your life. You may, some of you, have to face that your dreams just aren't going to happen as you have hoped and even as you have prayed throughout your life. You may have to face the reality that you are not going to ever be wealthy or rich. You may have to face the reality that you're never going to travel and see the world as you have always wanted to do. You may have to face the reality that you are never going to be appreciated by others who matter to you. Or finally experience the romantic fulfillment that you long for or that you've chosen to love somebody in this life who doesn't know how to love. Every Christian experiences the horrible feeling of being trapped in circumstances that just don't seem to change. And as the years go by, facing the fact that they will bear certain burdens and disappointments in life, this message is all about how we make that adjustment. Where is God when we don't see Him in the conditions? These are some of the painful burdens that we carry, often secretly, through life. So, where do your secret disappointments turn to for comfort when your dreams fall short and the desires that you have seem to be denied? Where can you find happiness when the change that you want most in life isn't coming? We have a tendency to put all of our expectation in the fact that if I just pray hard, if I work hard, if I be good, this condition that I wish to be free from, this situation that I wish would turn and change for my benefit, I've put all my hope in that God is my provider. Jesus is going to change this situation for me. Everything's going to be fine. And as I said, it's so hard for me to let these words pass from my lips this morning because all I've ever known to say is, God's going to turn your situation around. Hallelujah. He's the way where there is no way. And there's that expectation. And we don't ever want to diminish that hope, that, that focus that gives us faith in life. But secretly, in the darkness, like that second song we sang, in the secret place, where do we find that comfort? Where, where is God's answer when the answer isn't in the circumstances? Well, the truth is, the life of faith is designed more for pushing through valleys of darkness and despair than it is sitting on hilltops of total satisfaction without a problem in sight. On the battlefield of life, joy is more a weapon than a result. Who was closer to God than the Apostle Paul? I can't think of anybody. If I had to think of somebody in the New Testament that was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with God, I can't think of anybody 
who had more of God in their life than the Apostle Paul. Yet the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Corinthians in his second letter, the first chapter. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Let me pause for a moment and say that still as we read that verse, our thought is, that, well, of course, God is the God of all comfort because he's going to send that extra money that I need. And because he's going to turn around those people that are causing me such pain. Because the conditions that are stressing me out, he's going to make them go away. He's the God of all comfort. He's going to comfort my circumstances. But Paul goes on to say, as he talks about Christ and the merciful Father, the source of all comfort, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Did you catch that? The more we suffer for Christ, the more God, his plan is to shower us in those troubles with the comfort in Christ. Jumping down to verse 8, he continues to say, we think you ought to know, and I think we ought to know this morning, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. When comfort in your sufferings doesn't come through a change of conditions, Jesus himself will be your comfort. We must discover he who himself is the prince, the prince of peace, he who himself is our comfort. He who himself is our joy. Because if we don't, if we only rely on him as provider to change our circumstances, we are in for a hard life anyway, but without the wonderful, blessed relief that Jesus came to give to you and I. There's nothing like knowing him. And there's a reason why people who say that and know it because of a life of experience of carrying him through the valleys of their life, as well as the mountaintop experiences. They say it because they know the comfort that the world cannot give. In Psalm 91, David tried to tell us about it in verse 1 when he said, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret of the secret place of the Most High is that when God doesn't improve your conditions in your, in your favor, we still have God. That's the secret of the secret place of the Most High. Is that when God doesn't show up in your circumstances, He still shows up in your heart. When He doesn't give you the money, He doesn't give you the healing, or He doesn't give you the provision or the deliverance from your annoying neighbors that you need, 
or the advancement or the promotion on your job that you so expect. He still gives you himself. You still have God. And if you have God, you have God plus, anything plus God equals more than you'll ever need. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Daniel has this vision in the Old Testament, a prophetic vision. And um, the evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's wrestling with Daniel and trying to figure out what God's trying to say to him. And in that process of him living in this very, very uh, idolatrous world, Daniel and, and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, his three Hebrew friends, they're living in a culture not unlike our culture today, except even more severe in terms of its, its animosity towards the Almighty God. And um, so the, the, the king, the emperor, and in those days an emperor like Nebuchadnezzar, um, you know, they are the closest thing to God on earth. And so they, they not only allowed people to worship them, but sometimes demanded that their subjects worship them. And that happened with Nebuchadnezzar. And he, he, people that hated the Jews, by the way, hatred for Israel, hate, hatred for the Jews, has been along in this world ever since God blessed Abraham and raised up the Hebrew nation. You see, it's God showing goodness that makes the haters hate. There's your haters, if you want to talk about haters. They hate the Jews because God loves them. So at any rate, the haters in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom wanted to see the Jews annihilated. And so they concocted this plan. They said, you know what, uh, every emperor has this ego side and I think we can manipulate the emperor by appealing to his ego. So they went to him and they said, great emperor Nebuchadnezzar, um, I think you should let us build a giant golden statue of you and require that at the same time every day, everyone in your kingdom must turn to the direction of where the statue is and bow and worship that image of you. And you could just see Nebuchadnezzar going, oh, that's not a bad idea. I rather like that. I mean, it, it'll, it'll bring cohesiveness and unity through the king. He's seeing the, he's seeing the political uh, uh, benefits of the idolatry of this. But the reality is that the haters of the Jews knew that they were forbidden to worship idols. And so they went on to say an, an emperor, anyone who doesn't worship the image of you, let them be burned alive in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'd rather like that too. We're, we'll find out who's against us and who's for us. It really had nothing to do with who is against them and who's, who's for them. It had to do with who worships idols and who doesn't worship idols. But the king wasn't thinking about that. So they build the statue and they also prepare an amazing furnace that was about as hot as the sun. And Meshad, Shadrach, and Abednego refused to worship the idol. And you know what happened. You know the story. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. But I want to give you just a little bit of this narrative. Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. I will give you one more chance 
to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instrument. Let me just pause. Oh, could I talk about popular music today? Oh, could I talk about Hollywood? Can I talk about popular culture? Bow down and worship the demon idol when you hear the hip-hop. When you hear the R&B, when you hear the pop music, when you hear the tunes, when you see the videos, instantly it should move you to worship the idol. And so the band's going to start playing, and when they start playing, if you don't bow down and worship, I'm giving you one final chance. That's what he's saying. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Oh, that was the wrong thing to say to those three radical followers of the Lord. These Shadrach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. They weren't disrespectful, your majesty. But even, and here's what I want you to hear, but even if he doesn't, we want to make clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. These three young men realized the position that they were in. They knew that God was easily able to deliver them, but they also knew that God might choose not to deliver them. What would they do at that point? Would they throw themselves on the ground? Would they have a fit? Would they say, God, why didn't you come through? I don't know if I could go on believing in you anymore. They said, we've already thought this through. We've al already worked it out in our mind. And we want you to know that God may walk us right out of this fire. But if we roast and you hear our screams as we die and are burnt up, remember these words, we will never bow to the false gods that you serve and we will never worship your idol. Remember those words. And off they went as the soldiers threw them into the furnace. And the Bible says the soldiers that threw them into the furnace got burned up and died by getting that close to the fire. That's a, that's a hot fire. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Think of yourself as Meshad, Shadrach, and Abednego and when life has ambushed you as it ambushed them, and your opponents seem to have all the power and be holding all the cards, this is your opportunity to stand up in honor of the greater one who lives within you. That's what they did. Greater is the spirit in me than the spirit in the world. If the world is not turning in favor towards me, if others are being given the advancement that I've worked hard for and earned and I'm being put aside and overlooked, if others 
have their plate full and their cups overflowing while I am experiencing emptiness and lack, then just know that the greater one in me is greater than the spirit that is in the world. There is a comfort that those that don't know God will never know. And there is a comfort that those that truly know the greater one lives within them. It is an inexplicable comfort. They know that comfort. And they can turn and be hugged, be embraced, be filled, be charged with joy and thanksgiving while their whole world and house is burning to the ground. God is able to do that. Can you say amen? So when life's ambushed you and your opponents have all of the power, what is it then but your opportunity to honor the greater one who lives within you? Please, don't make the mistake of only knowing Jesus as your provider. Some Christians, it's the only answer they have is the Lord's my provider. The Lord will provide. And I, I don't wag my head when I say that because I want to minimize or trivialize Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. And I don't want to be like some of these preachers who get up and, and cramp and limit and beat and bruise people's faith by telling them you can't believe the promises or expect the word of God is true. So I know that this sounds contradictory. But what I'm saying in my message is I'm not trying to explain why some prayers don't go answered. I'm not up here trying to, to weave some theological patchwork that you can use to, to comfort yourself when things don't go well when you've prayed for them to go well. I'm not even dealing with that. It's God's business. What I'm dealing with is what do you do when it happens? Has God really left you? Where do you go? My yoke is easy, my burden is light, said the Lord. I will teach you if you let me, and you will find rest for your souls. Come on, church. Somebody say praise the Lord if you can see where this is going. Hallelujah. Don't make the mistake of knowing Jesus only as provider. Jesus is more than your provider. He's your provision. Hallelujah. Jesus, glory to God, he's your comfort when he doesn't make your situation comfortable. He is love when you're left out in the cold. He's the dawn, hallelujah, of your endless night. He's not just the one who has what you need. He is what you need. And it's time the church and Christians grow up and understand this most fundamental of all Christian truths that when you have Jesus you have the one who is more than enough. You have everything. You can go through the river. It will not overflow you. You can pass through the flames of the fire. They will not kindle upon you. Maybe they will. The, the flames of persecution have kindled on many Christians. But there is one who gets in the midst of the fire with you. And he can either walk you out or he can be in there and be your comfort as you go through it. 
How do you deal with the deep disappointment in life that the few, the handful of decisions that you have made that were designed to bring peace and comfort to your life, some of them aren't working. And you have no knowledge of how to change. You need a miracle and you don't see that miracle charging in in a white horse. What do you do? How do you live the life you never wanted to live? Where does that peace, where does it come from? When you realize life isn't fair and I'm experiencing the downside of that lopsided formula. Jesus is the comforter of those who don't have comfort. Makes me ashamed for the times when I've gotten mad, when I've gotten depressed because things weren't working out the way I wanted them to work out. And, and I don't feel shame because I'm human and you know we all get disappointed. I'm ashamed because I didn't stop and remember who I serve. I didn't stop and remember that Jesus is more than enough than I will ever need. It's called gratitude. It's called being thankful. You know, I close with this thought and then we're going to pray. Um, it's a mistake to think of your life in terms of 70, 80, 90, or 100 years. It's a mistake to think of your life as this little, little sausage casing, and you've got to cram everything you can into it, pack everything you can. If something's left out, then you're in lack. But God has created you with a future, an eternal future. God has made you with an eternal purpose. This is simply your testing ground. This life is is only the preparation for eternity. Amen. Know that God is not going to leave you empty, even if he doesn't fill you in this life. The Bible says, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has provided for them that love him. Hallelujah. Why can people who are always short when it comes to paying their bills, moving from one apartment to the next. Why are people who, who no matter how much they try to make an impression, they're, they're stuck with a prickly personality and people oftentimes get rubbed the wrong way by them. And secretly they get down on their bed at night and lay down and say, God, I wish I could be smooth like that person. I wish I could be more affectionate like that person. But you realize you are what you are. And I'm not saying embrace the prickliness. I'm not saying make no effort to be more Christ-like, but the reality is that some of us are stinkers. Am I, am I preaching the truth up here? Am I, am I making up stuff? And yet Jesus loves you, yet Jesus lives in you. He is your Lord. If you want to go successfully through life with the person God has given you to be, and you see the idiosyncrasies and the weirdness, 
Don't give up on wanting to change or improve, but just know that improvement has no hope of ever occurring if you don't know where your comfort comes from. You need to get in the yoke with Jesus. Because you know what? His love, the fruits of His Spirit, can penetrate your lack of patience, your lack of kindness, your lack of mercy. They can penetrate. They can, they can move through you when that's not even in your nature to be that way. If you would just be willing to stop saying, this is the way I am. If you'd just be willing to stop arguing with everybody. You're not getting along with people because you're a pain in the butt. Can I tell the truth? You're weird. You're misshapen. You're not fun to be with. Are you listening to me? You are holding on thinking, I deserve to be acknowledged. I deserve to be understood. But some people are not going to understand you. And is it their fault for not making an effort? Yes. Yes, it is. And if you're going to sit in life and wait until everybody grows up and treats you the way they ought to treat you, you're missing the entire point of your life. Your life is to get in the yoke with Jesus. Not wait till the world invites you into their yoke. Are you listening? Hallelujah. Some of that stuff I didn't intend to say this morning, but I feel the Lord squeezing my heart just a little bit. Because it's time to grow up and to honor God. I close my second closing with this thought. I grew up, I had a great dad. When I grew up in my father's house, he was an atheist. Nobody in my family believed in God. So there was no godliness in my house. There was no Bible, I don't think, ever anywhere in our house. No, no talk of, of God. But um, one, one of the things that was most great about my dad is, and I was thinking about this the other day, and throughout my childhood, I never once, ever, ever, heard my dad say one disparaging word against people who were poor, people who didn't have what we had, and we didn't have much. He never said anything about people who dug ditches. The only thing my dad would ever say was that work is honorable. And he spent my childhood teaching me honor, fidelity, humility, fight for what is right, sacrifice. And he exalted and upheld people that were like that. And so he taught me the principles of kindness. You don't become kind. <coughs> Excuse me, you don't become kind uh, just because. <clears throat> you know, you happen to have that kind of personality. Kindness is the product of deliberate building, tearing down your own pride, your own ego, your own everybody ought to recognize me, and looking at others as better than yourself. 
That is where true honor comes from. It's not how you try to get attention for yourself. It's how you give honor to others. It's how you treat other people. My dad not only taught me that, he exhibited it to me. So I say this to you now because after 70 years on this earth, I have to say, in all honesty before you today, I have never once wasted one minute of my life being envious of people that had more than I did. I have never once thought, why can't I be rich? I've never once felt gypped or cheated. If I had to drive a broken down car that was falling apart, or if I couldn't run out and just, you know, get things because I wanted them like other people, I've spent not one moment of my life in regret, but putting hands on my car, whatever it was like, and saying, Lord, thank you for this. That gratitude has saved me from the pains that many people go through when they see others elevated, when they see others getting to do things, and they can't do it, and it just eats at them. I've never had problem. It doesn't eat at me when I see others because I was taught the value of honor and sacrifice. That when those times of imbalance and unfairness come, that's your opportunity to show character, to show where true value is. Make no mistake about it. What I'm saying to you this morning is that's what being in the yoke with Jesus is about. When life takes away your opportunity to show others up and it's your turn to be persecuted, ridiculed, and made fun of and thrown in the furnace, that's your moment to sh outshine everyone by honoring the greater one who is in you rather than acting like a spoiled or scared person who's clutching to the doorways of life as they're being drugged through. Hallelujah. He is not just the one who gives you what you need. Jesus is what you need. So my message is this. Learn the comforter, the pillow, the blanket, the hug of Jesus Christ. When you can't get joy anywhere else, get it from him. Get it from him. Get it from him.